has been a bill that has been a long time coming. It does do what it says it does. The first bill of the year moves to a chamber and it passes with bipartisan support. I'm glad to see that people were able to get together, work out their differences, and do what's best for the state of Iowa. From Iowa Public Radio News, this is the weekly legislative podcast, Under the Golden Dome. I support renewable fuels. I support ethanol. A bill requiring more fuel pumps to offer biofuels passes out of the House of Representatives. A similar bill stalled last year, but this year's includes an exemption for gas stations that can't easily upgrade their pumps. They can either upgrade or they can uh, continue selling the products that they're selling today. At the committee level, there are bills on the way to the chamber. This is a governor's priority bill. One in the Labor Committee reduces the maximum number of weeks for unemployment benefits. A half a year of benefits at a rate less than what you're making. It's not making anybody rich. Labor groups oppose it. We feel like the construction industry is unfairly affected by this legislation. And a public school funding bill passes out of a Senate committee. The bill establishes a 2.25% rate of increase. Two and a quarter percent is completely inadequate. I'm John Pimble. This is Under the Golden Dome for the week ending February 4th, 2022. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Chair recognizes the gentleman from Jones, Representative Hine, for opening remarks on House File 2128. In the fourth week of the session, the first bill of the year makes it to one of the legislative chambers for consideration. It's a requirement for biofuels like gasoline with ethanol to become more widely available. It's been a bill that uh, has been a long time coming. Uh, Some of us started way back about this time last year when the governor asked us to take a look at a, a renewable fuels bill. Republican Representative Lee Hine floor manages a bill written by the governor. It's similar to a proposal from last year that was widely rejected. Part of the criticism last year was it required too many fuel pumps to offer biofuels. This bill this year only requires half of all pumps at a gas station that are capable of handling biofuels to do so. One of the first things I learned as a legislator is uh, a lot of times we don't have that perfect bill, but when everybody is a little bit unhappy about it, uh, it's probably pretty good legislation, and I think we've we've reached that uh, point today. As the bill came before a committee a week ago, there were concerns that exemptions weren't clear enough. Representative Hines says it's been amended to address this. Some of the discussion was is that we were going to put all these uh, small mom-and-pop stores out of business. Uh, that was never the intent, and uh, I think we have a good waiver process that will allow them to make the choice. They can either upgrade uh, or they can uh, apply for the waiver and uh, continue selling the products that they're selling today. This bill requires pumps to sell gas blended with up to 15% ethanol by 2026. The bill offers some help in the form of grants to help stations upgrade. Democratic Representative Mary Wolf says this will help smaller stations that may not be able to afford to do so and continue to sell gas without ethanol. It it makes it a bill that with the amendment, it does do what it says it does. It does both expand the ethanol market here in Iowa, um, but it also does protect small towns, smaller 
fuel retailers. So I'm enthusiastic, yes, on the amendment, and obviously once the amendment goes on, because I support renewable fuels, I support ethanol, I'm also recommending a yes on the bill. And the bill passes with only 10 representatives voting against. Three are Democrats and seven are Republicans. A similar proposal is going to come before a Senate committee soon. Most of the bills that come before this and the Senate chamber will pass with a wide level of bipartisan support. This is House Study Bill 631. It is a worker and workforce-focused bill. But a bill about unemployment probably won't. Republican Representative Michael Busolo chairs a labor subcommittee. This is a governor's priority bill, and I do see uh, the governor's representative in the room. Governor Reynolds' legislative liaison is Molly Severin. Currently, 26 weeks is the maximum number of weeks for unemployment benefits. Today, these benefits continue to serve an important purpose as a short-term safety net for individuals unexpectedly out of work. But they are not intended to provide long-term support especially amidst a post-pandemic workforce shortage. This bill would shorten the maximum number of weeks to 16. At the beginning of the pandemic, Iowa's unemployment rate shot up to 14 percent. Now it is around 4 percent, and there is a labor shortage in Iowa and across the country as the pandemic continues. You know, this bill has clear intent to make people take lower-paying jobs quicker, Peter Hurd from the Iowa American Federation of Labor says this bill not only shortens the maximum time for benefits, but in some cases requires someone to take a job that may pay less. There's a uh, Section 5, Section 96.5 states uh, that you need to take work at 90 percent of your wage if it's offered during the second week. Dylan Gramlich from the Laborers International Union of North America says the bill unfairly targets workers in the construction industry. Our Members and the people that work in construction industry are not seasonal workers, but we do suffer seasonal layoffs due to weather. Um, so there's a very good chance that construction workers will utilize the unemployment system at least once, if not multiple times a year, uh, through no fault of their own. The bill also proposes to require a person to be unemployed for one week before the benefits are available. Mike Gronstel from the Iowa State Building and Construction Trades says that's going to affect most employees in his industry. This bill reaches into the pockets of tens of thousands of Iowans, tens of thousands of them, and takes three or four hundred bucks out of their pocket. J.D. Davis from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry supports the one-week wait and the shortening of the maximum number of weeks. We have to make sure we understand that the unemployment benefits are something that takes a person from work to work. That's, that is how they're uh, uh, designed to make sure that uh, it is bridge income to get somebody back to work. And we think that um, getting people back to work sooner that are in the workforce already is a, is a goal uh, worth pursuing. Changes to unemployment are only part of this bill. It also puts a limit on the amount a person can sue a health provider in a civil lawsuit to $1 million. President of the Iowa Medical Society, Dr. Tiffany Millis, supports this portion of the bill. I've seen a trend that we have a giant target on our back in the state of Iowa because we lack a hard cap on non-economic damages, and we are in the minority for this. And I personally, as a small business owner and as a physician, have seen my group targeted by out-of-state lawyers who have come, and they know that Iowa is ripe for these kinds of very exorbitant lawsuits. The bill advances from this subcommittee. The next day, it is in the full House and Labor Committee. People who apply for unemployment benefits do not want to lose their jobs. 
Democratic Representative Bruce Hunter opposes the bill. Hunter refers to claims like the one made by Governor Reynolds during her condition of the state speech, where she said the safety net of unemployment has become a hammock. Unemployment benefits are meant to be a safety net. A half a year of benefits at a rate less than what you're making is not making anybody rich. People are not just sitting on the couch, living off the dole of the state. But Republican Representative Michael Buslow says reducing the time for unemployment will help fill the gap of unfilled jobs in the workforce. It's been noted there's nearly 90,000 jobs available today. More jobs available than folks looking. That's not about the numbers. It's about people. About people who are tired. Working 12 hours a day for two shifts because there's nobody else can get hired and show up. The bill passes from the Labor Committee and is eligible to be debated by the House of Representatives. This is the weekly legislative podcast under the Golden Dome from Iowa Public Radio. I'm John Pimble. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. There have been many bills proposed and discussed in Senate Education Subcommittees this week. One of the biggest is the annual supplemental state aid. This is how public school funding is determined, and it has to pass every year within the first 30 days of the session. It usually doesn't, and there are no penalties for the delay. Like most proposals that involve the budget, the governors are often used as a guide. The governor is proposing a 2.5% increase, but the Senate's proposal is a bit less. The bill establishes a 2.25% rate of increase. Republican Senator Amy Sinclair explains the proposal in a subcommittee. It continues the property tax replacement payments, as we've done for the last several years. It adds an additional $10 per pupil to the base cost per pupil uh, for the state so that we're eliminating that inequity that's built into our system. And additionally, it increases the uh, adds an additional appropriation to continue to buy down to the statewide average the transportation costs for, for local districts. As you can hear, the funding formula for public schools is complicated. It's not just a matter of adjusting one item, but it's often simplified in discussion by an overall percentage. What is important to understand is each school district receives money based on their enrollment numbers. If there is a decrease of enrollment, a district will receive less money. Two and a quarter percent uh, is completely inadequate. Democratic Senator Herman Kornbach says with the inflation rate at 7 percent, the funding for schools should be higher. Last year, the allowable growth, in other words, the allowable growth number that is uh, schools are using this school year was 2.4 percent. Inflation for the fiscal year that ended June 30th was 5.4 percent. So we're three point three percentage points short of keeping up with inflation uh, for this year. Uh, two and a quarter percent doesn't even make up for last year's deficit, not to mention not dealing with the current uh, increase in prices. There is also a Democratic proposal for a 5 percent increase, but because the Democrats aren't in the majority, their proposal is more of a statement than something that will actually come before a subcommittee. A 5% a five proposal would put us in precarious position going forward. 
Senator Sinclair points to the part of funding that depends on the number of students enrolled. We have 4,000 students that didn't return to the public schools following the pandemic. Should those students come back next year with a compounding 5%, it would be likely that we could not give any increase at all if indeed uh, we were able to, to, to keep from cutting. Uh, those students coming back at 5% would probably exceed, and I haven't done the math in, 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 in real time, but it would probably exceed a, a $100 million increase without any increase to SSA next year. And that's just not something that, that I think anybody wants. I think Senator Kornbach says the Democrats suggested 5% would be for only one year. Uh, so talking about compounding, that's projecting off into the future. We'll take one year at a time. And as for the last five years, the Republican funding has fallen over $400 million short of keeping up with inflation, $140 million short just this current year. The funding proposal advances from this subcommittee and is later passed by the full Education Committee. Another bill for the Senate Education Committee is one that has garnered much attention from the governor. It's about making sure parents are aware of what materials are being used in public schools. Often the focus is on what kind of books are available to students. Senate Study Bill 7039 is a parental bill of rights. Senator Amy Sinclair is the author of the bill. It is uh, designed to codify into Iowa code uh, things that, that already exist largely um, through Supreme Court precedent, through federal regulations, and through policies and procedures that are already occurring uh, within school boards across the state. Much of this information is already available, but this proposal requires it to be available online to parents or a guardian. That includes, as the bill states, textbooks, books, articles, outlines, handouts, presentations, videos, and any other similar materials the Board of Directors of the school district uses for student instruction. It would also require written parental consent for a student to access what is referred to as obscene material in a classroom or from the school library. Republican Senator Jeff Taylor says most of Iowa schools are doing a good job. But when we legislate, we often legislate for the exceptions to the rule. So you sometimes do have a bad actors who are not providing the kind of accountability and transparency and fairness that we have a right to expect. And so this bill, I think, is trying to get at those exceptions to the rule problems and by empowering parents and also by reminding and holding them accountable, we're, we're trying to improve uh, what we already have, which is, is a good system and to make it even better. Democratic Senator Herman Kornbach also supports this bill. Speaking realistically, this bill really, uh, most of it is already being done. In particular, I would point out with regard to the latter sections, with regard to obscene material, if you read Chapter 728 of the Code of Iowa, it's already illegal. None of us, none of us want kids to have access to obscene material, and that's why it's been illegal in this state for many, many years. Uh, the, the language here really just repeats the restrictions in 728. But one thing that comes up is how obscenity applies not just to books, but other aspects of instruction. Kidding Crow from One Iowa says they worry about how a student could define obscenity. Uh, I worry that this language might empower some kid to say, well, I view this test as obscene and therefore I'm not going to take it. This bill advances from the subcommittee and less than 24 hours later is in the full committee with an amendment. 
I appreciate uh, the amendment coming forward. Uh, I believe that it incorporates several of the changes that we discussed in subcommittee yesterday. Uh, but since it only appeared about a half an hour ago, um, I wondered if I could just confirm a few things. One of the things Senator Herman Kornbach asks Senator Amy Sinclair about is the removal of the word obscene from the bill. Uh, you do introduce the term sexually explicit here, and I was wondering if you had a statutory reference. The term obscene is defined in code. We have a well-established, you know, court-reviewed standard for that. Uh, do we have a do you have a code cross-reference for the sexually explicit term? I, I do not have a code cross-reference for sexually explicit. It may be something that on the floor we need to define sexually explicit. Uh, I, I won't say we don't. We just didn't. In, in the 6, 6 p.m. conversation we had last night with, with the attorney who was advising us that this might be a bad idea and might get teachers in trouble, um, we wanted to make sure that, that we were still getting at the intent of the bill uh, while, while protecting teachers. So if we need to define sexually explicit, we can. Um, and, and maybe we also use the reasonable person standard earlier, earlier in, the, in the bill related to access of records and access of students. It's possible we can use that reasonable person standard that, that is a legal term to, uh, to incorporate the, the sexually explicit, um, the, the, something that's sexually explicit that a reasonable person would view as sexually explicit. Okay. Well, I, I would hope that you, if you do try to create a definition, that you would uh, place it in the proper context. Uh, I'm not much of a biblical scholar, but I understand there's certain portions, uh, passages in the Old Testament that are pretty explicit by my definition. I have read Song of Solomon. And, and uh, okay, <laughs> all right, put it on my reading list. Um, no, I won't. Um, the, um, yes, you're leaving me speechless here. Um, uh, yeah. I, Bottom line is, I don't want a standard that's going to prohibit people from reading the Bible, for goodness sake. So, so uh, I would hope that we could work together Certainly. on that. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know, we do, uh, I think, unanimously support parents being involved in their kids' education. Certainly, if a kid is falling behind in reading or having trouble with math, we want the parents involved to support the efforts of the teacher, to, to get them both working together in partnership. I think that's the key word. Uh, same thing if the student is having disciplinary problems. Um, if, uh, if the kid is getting involved in fights, if the kid is skipping school, obviously you want the parent to know about that so that, again, school and parent can work together to correct that situation. So uh, with that goal in mind, uh, I'm happy to support this amendment and the bill. The bill passes unanimously from the committee and can now come before the full Senate. There are many bills that haven't come before these subcommittees that are somewhat similar but have a different approach. That includes a bill introduced at the end of the day Thursday. It's from Republican Senator Jake Chapman, who is also the Senate president. Part of his bill says if a school teacher knowingly provides, quote, obscene material or hardcore pornography as part of instructional program or curriculum, they could be guilty of a serious misdemeanor. I'm John Pimble. This is the weekly legislative podcast, Under the Golden Dome. 
The script editor for this episode is Iowa Public Radio News Director Michael Leland. Story help and additional audio comes from Iowa Public Radio Statehouse reporter Katerina Sestarik. Also help from IPR reporter Grant Gerlach. Digital team support for this podcast comes from Caitlin Troutman. If you haven't subscribed to this show, do that now wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Under the Golden Dome is a production of Iowa Public Radio.